Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Any runners in the house? Any runners you like to run? <laughs> How many of you wish you were a runner? Yeah, there we Okay, I just tried to get some, some sort of participation. <laughs> I was thinking about preparing this week. We've been on a walk with Abraham. I'm thinking about this, this journey and the conversation I wanted to have with you today. And I got thinking about how life has a way of moving the finish line for you. Wouldn't that be demoralizing? You set out to run a race, whether it's a 5K or maybe a half marathon or even a full marathon, and you come right around the corner, and as you get there, that final stretch, it seems like the finish line is just moving. And you get a little bit more, and how many of you at some point, you'd be like, I'm done. Like, stop, stop moving the finish line on me. Life has a way of doing it. And listen, it happens early. You don't even realize how this happens to you as a child. How many of you ever told your children you need to go to school and you need to get good grades so that you'll be successful in life? Who's guilty of that? Okay, here's the problem. Only to find out that just going to school and getting good grades isn't enough. You have to graduate too. It's like the, the line moves. And then you think, well, if I graduate, I'm gonna be successful. Doesn't work that way, does it? No, you graduate and then move the finish line and now you gotta go get a what? You got to go get a job. And you think, okay, finally, I get a job. I'm going to be successful. No, no, no. They don't tell you this when you're little. You've got to keep that job. Some of you are going to learn that today. The things you learn at Our Savior's Church. To be successful in life, you don't just have to go to school and get good grades. You have to graduate so that you can get a job. And then once you get there, we're going to move the finish line one more time for you. And you've got to keep that job. Isn't it ironic that they don't teach you? There's not a class that anybody takes in school that teaches you how to keep your job. We should start a petition. <laughs> teach these kids from pre-K-4. Y'all got to get a job. And y'all got to learn to keep that job. You got to show up early. No. You, you get... You get the point. But life has a way of moving the finish line. I overheard somebody uh, a couple months ago talking about their workload. It was really heavy, and there's a lot of things going on. And they said this. They said, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. You've heard that phrase before, right? It's almost coming to an end. I'm in this dark place. I'm in this tunnel, and I see this light coming at the end. And I said, man, I'm sorry to tell you, that's not a light at the end of the tunnel. That's just a wall sconce. And when you get up there, you're going to realize there's more tunnel to continue in life. And I think about that when, I think, uh, when, I, when I'm reading about Abraham's journey in the Bible. We're, we're concluding our series today. This is the end. This is the end of a walk with Abraham. And we have been on this journey with Abraham, seeing what God's doing in his life and looking at our own lives and saying, man, maybe God's doing some things at the same way. Here's some of the things that have happened to Abraham, and I want you to be thinking about the finish line keeping moved for him every single time. God tells him, leave what you know and where you're comfortable, and I will bless generations after you. Remember that promise in Genesis chapter 12? We covered that. So he does, and he leaves, but when he gets there, what does God say? Hey, trust me to provide for you in a place that you've never been, and then I will bless generations for you. So, 
Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to trust you to do that. He struggled with that a little bit. Left to Egypt, came back, trusted God. And then, it got, then the line moved a little further and says, hey, allow me to cut away your flesh and I will bless generations after you. There's another thing to follow. And then as if that wasn't enough, he said this, have the faith to believe that I will give you a son through your 100-year-old wife and I will bless generations after you. And on one hand, you can look at this story and you can think, wow, God, that's kind of cruel. For 25 years, he's done everything you've asked, and you keep moving the finish line on him. Keep moving the finish line. Have you ever felt that way in life? Just seems like just the light is at the end of the tunnel. You get there only to realize it's a wall sconce, and you got to keep going. There's more in store for there. How many of you know that's when fear and failure start to creep in? And we start to take matters into our own hands. And I was talking to a, a young business owner just this morning. And he's, he's trying to get this thing up and going and off the ground. And it just seems like we're right there. And I just, ah, I'm trying to trust God. But I want to take matters into my own hands. And we talk about fear and failure in this journey. And, and what's neat to me to see this is that Abraham isn't the father of fear or the father of failure. He's the father of what? Faith. How can a man with so much disappointment, keep going. How can a man like that show so much faith? How can you and I respond in faith each and every time it feels like the finish line is moving on us? And if you've been following this story closely with us over the last five weeks, you're going to see Abraham had a different perspective, and that different perspective makes all the difference. Here's what I want you to know. God hasn't been moving Abraham's finish line. He's been growing Abraham's faith. He's not moving the finish line. He's, he's growing his faith. Cruelty isn't moving the finish line on you. True cruelty is making a promise so big you can't get there on your own and you have to watch it from the sideline because you don't have the faith it takes to take that step. I love that God is helping him. Here's what we see in Abraham's journey that looks like ours. Big promises require big faith. But faith grows with each step of obedience. And here's what I want you to understand about Abraham and his journey and your journey as well. By giving you and I smaller steps of obedience along the way, God is essentially growing our faith so that we can trust him in the moments when big, a big step of obedience is required. That's what's happening. God gives us these little steps along the way so that as we take them, our faith can grow and we can take a bigger step and it grows from there and a bigger step that grows from there. How many of you say, Pastor, just, just give it all to me at once? Let me have it all at once. Quit moving this finish line. Here's the reality. You couldn't handle it. If God gave you everything that you needed to do in order to get to the promises he had for you, the moment you were born again, some of us would be tapping out saying, there's no way you could do that. There's no way I could endure something like that in my life. There's no way I could bring myself or my family to a point of saying, you want that from me? There's no way. But God has a way of bringing us smaller steps of obedience each and every time he asks us to do something. And it's as if every time we obey, something inside of us grows. And we look back and we say, I trusted God in this moment. I can trust him in this one. And we take that step and it, and it builds and it builds and it builds. The average untrained 180-pound man can bench press about 130 pounds. This is just a guy pull him off the couch, never been in a gym, never done anything of the sort. About a 180-pound man can bench press about 130 pounds. But did you know 
that with training and experience, he can develop the ability to bench press upwards of 275 pounds and beyond? That's crazy. He just doesn't start there. You don't walk into the gym untrained, inexperienced, put 275 pounds on the rack and get underneath that thing like you're going to lift it. No, no. You got to start with what? Let's start with 130 and see how we do there. And then we add a little bit more on top of that. And we add a little bit more on top of that. It's interesting how in weightlifting, we understand conceptually that you don't just start with the heavy weight and get there. You start with lighter weight and work your way up to that. Why do we understand that in weightlifting, but we don't understand that in our lives? No, yeah, I just, I got to do it. I got to do it. Hebrews 11:1 1 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Listen, genuine faith is a substance that you can stand on. It's like a stepping stone. Every time you exercise your faith, you take a step of obedience to obey God. And what you're really doing is you're stepping closer and closer and closer. Each new step is a new stone that allows you to reach the next one, that allows you to reach the next one. And here's what it looks like in your life. You may look back and you say, man, I'm nowhere near where I know I should be, but I'm definitely not where I used to be. God must be doing something along the way. That's faith, and that's how it grows with obedience. You all follow me? I'm going to show you two stories today just like that. Two stories about increasing our steps of obedience to watch God grow our faith for the big thing that he has prepared for us. Two stories today, one that we read about in scripture and one that is being lived out right before your very eyes that you may not even realize. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 21, verse 1 through 5. We're going to wrap up our story about Abraham in this series. Verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at that time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him. What was his name? Isaac. And remember, Ishmael was the impatient son of his own efforts. Isaac is now the awaited son of God's provision. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham, look at this. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Whew. Man. You remember how old he was when God first called him to take that first step? Seventy-five. Twenty-five years he's been on this journey. Twenty-five years of faith building steps. And you think, finally, finish line. God did it. He made it. Isaac is born. Let's close in prayer. And you think that's where it needs to end, but it doesn't. The story keeps going. And as we're about to see, God's going to ask something of Abraham that had he not walked through all that he walked through up to this point, there is no way he'd be able to obey. He's about to ask something of Abraham so phenomenal and so catastrophic. I don't even think there's anybody in this room. I know I wouldn't have the faith to obey what he's about to ask Abraham to do. Look at this, chapter 22, verse 1 through 2. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. 25 years waiting for this promise. 
You think the finish line is here. You've got the son. He's growing up in your household right before you. And God says, there's another step to take. I can't fathom it. I cannot fathom it. And we don't know how old Isaac was when God asked this of him. I've heard some people joke and say, I know exactly how old he was. He was a teenager. I can absolutely see how that would happen. But listen, no, the text only tells us this. He was of conversational age. He was old enough and strong enough to carry firewood up a mountain, yet he was young enough to be bound by his father to that pile of wood. Could you imagine what must be going on through Abraham's mind? 25 years of promises, 25 years of waiting, hoping, trusting, fearing, failing, obeying. And this step of obedience didn't just mean death to a promise. It meant death to his son. There's a, there's a face attached to this now. There are, there are memories attached to this. God's goodness to him, a tangible representation of who God has been in his life, is tied up in this very child. And God says, I want you to sacrifice him to me. Verse 2, look at this. He said, take your son. you got to see this. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. That last part, of which I shall tell you. That's not the first time God has said that to Abraham, is it? No, all the way back at the beginning of this story, he's called to leave his home to a land that I will show you. It's as if God was reminding him, you trusted me then, Abraham, you can trust me now. You can stand on that step of obedience that you took in order to reach this one. But look at the first part of that verse where he says, your only son, Isaac. Was that his only son? Mm -mm. But which son was he? Ah, the one you love. This is the first time in all of scripture that the word love is used. And it's in the connection. It's in connection with the sacrifice of a son. You see the parallels to John 3, 16? How many of you know that verse? For God so loved the world that he gave what? His one and only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's as if God is saying to him, I know what I'm about to ask you to do. I know. I know. But God, are you sure? Do you know what you're asking of me? That had to pop into his head. It pops into mind as a father reading this story. And can I tell you something? You will never sacrifice to God something that he doesn't full well know the cost. You'll never. God will never ask something of you that he doesn't know, understand, and appreciate the value of what he's asking. Let's continue the story. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Man, it speaks to the immediacy of his obedience. Arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him on the third day. That's a journey. That's about 40 miles. Imagine traveling from here to Opelousas on camel. Three days journey. Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. You may not know this, but that's the first time in Scripture that the word worship is used. The very first time we see worship in the Bible is right here in this story. You and I are given this picture that any time 
you or I, in obedience, willingly offer something to God that we love, something that he gave us. What does he call it? Worship. He calls it worship. We see that in this story. Abraham knew what he was being asked to do, and his sacrifice is described to us as worship. Verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. He had to carry it. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Now that's a foreshadowing of Jesus where God provides for himself his own offering to take care of and satisfy all of the sins for you and I. But look also at this perspective. He knew that Isaac was the sacrifice, but he also remembered where Isaac came from. Isaac had come from God, and if God wanted to provide for himself a sacrifice through Isaac, Abraham wasn't going to stand in the way. How many of us stand in the way of what God wants to do in our lives with the very things he's given us? No, no, God, I can't, I can't give that. Where'd it come from? I see this, my two-year-old daughter, Elodie, sits in her high chair and she's eating snacks, goldfish, graham crackers. You don't, it don't matter. Story's the same. Daddy walks up, can I have a bite? Nope. Does not share at all. Nope, not at all. I'm like, I bought that for you. Like, there's a whole jar in the pantry. I'll give you 50 more if you'll just give me that one. But she can only see what's in her hand, not see the one who provided it for her. We do that, don't we? We do that. No, God, he can't, I, can't, I can't trust you with that. Are you kidding me? I gave that to you. I provided that to you. Abraham, or Genesis 22, 9 through 13. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar and there and laid the wood in order, something that he had done with Isaac many, many times before. Only this time he bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Can't imagine. Can't imagine. Look what happens next. But the angel of the Lord called to him from, seven, from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. You think he whispered? No. Abraham, stop. Hold up. Don't do it. Here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son your only son from me. Verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes. We've seen that language before, haven't we? Lifted up his eyes and he looked. And behold, behind him, while he wasn't looking, God was doing something in the middle of this story. There was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. You've heard the phrase, a ram in the bush. That's where it comes from. 
That's where it comes from. He was focused on doing this thing, had no idea what God was orchestrating behind the scenes on his behalf. It wasn't until he was ready to take that step and fully obey. You and I couldn't have done it. We couldn't have started here and ended there, and Abraham couldn't either. God had to bring him story after story, step after step, season after season, trust after trust, obedience after obedience to finally get him to the point where he had a track record of looking back and saying, God, you have not failed me yet. Everything I have is yours. There is nothing in my life that doesn't come from your hands. If this is how you want to provide for yourself, you've provided for me, then you're going to provide for me before. I still see your promise as being true. And I need you to see that in your own life. I need you to see that God isn't asking you to do this big step of obedience starting from ground zero. He has never left you or forsaken you. He has brought you time and time again. You could fill a book full of the stories where you shouldn't be here, but you are because of God. That shouldn't happen. You shouldn't have that job. That family member shouldn't be alive, but God has done that in your life. And I just got to tell you, the step of obedience that he's asking you to take is not too big for you. It may be too big for where you started, but it's not too big for where you are. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Wow, what a story. What a story. And here's here's my favorite part. I've been waiting all week to show you this one verse in this story. And it's the very, very, very next verse. Look at this, verse 14. So Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Did, Did you see it? It's not like he sat there and was worried about the step of obedience and went to obey and God provided him and he didn't look up to God and say, God, you're the provider. What did he do? What gets named Jehovah Jireh? The place. He names the place Jehovah Jireh. He names the place the Lord will provide. Abraham recognized that God used a place to provide the miracle that he was needing. Let me tell you, it's at the place where God sends you that he will provide for you. It's at the place where he sends you. Had Abraham not gone to the place, would the ram have been there? If Abraham had not gone to the place that God had called him, would there have been an opportunity to get him out of that situation? Answer? The very thing he needed. He thought he was going for one thing. God says, no, no, I've got something else for you. I just want to test your heart. I need a step of obedience in the way. And because he goes to the place, God provides for him. We see this all the time. Psalm 68, 6. God places the lonely in families. And when they get there, what does he do? When, he gets, when they get to that place... When they get to a place, 
He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. Can I tell you, that's why I'm so in love with the local church. So in love with the local church. It's the place where lonely people are placed. It's the place where they get set free and learn to walk in joy and fulfillment in their life. This is the place where marriages are reconciled. This is the place where children come home to the Lord. This is the place where addictions and bondages are broken off of people. I met a young lady in, our, in, in, in the guest suite a couple weeks ago. She came up to me. She's been attending for a few weeks. I had known her through relationship outside in our community. And she said, Pastor, you don't understand. How did you know? I don't know. Tell me what I knew. She said, everything you said was just for me. Everything you said was just for me. I've given it up. And she went to tell me this addiction that she had been carrying for so long. She, there was, she wasn't embarrassed to tell her pastor. It's gone. It broke off of her. And she walked up in that moment. And listen, I said, it wasn't me. It was the place. It was the place that God brought you. You started coming to this place. And since you've been here, God's used me and he's used y'all and he's used this worship team and he's used this altar moment and he's used everything that has taken place up to this point. You got brought to a place and now Jehovah Jireh has provided something for you that you needed in this place. Do you see it? This is the place where God provides. I'd like to tell you another story, only I'm going to have them tell it themselves. Watch this. Hi, my name is Sonia. This is my husband, Brandon. Hey. We, we have been in the church for about 17 years. You're going to help me, okay? One. When the accident happened, we were actually on vacation in Kissimmee, Florida. It was the night before we were leaving to come back home. He texted me. He says, I'm on my way. I'm going to stop and put gas so my bike will be filled up. So me and the kids started packing up everything from a week-long trip. Brennan never showed up. We called the cops, gave them Brennan's information, told them the last known place, the last known text, what time it was, and they immediately put his name in the system and they told us that he was in it. In an accident, he was transported, airlifted to the hospital. Because of the extent of his injuries, they said that he would not come out of this. They wanted me to pull the plug. They said, you really need to think about pulling the plug on him because he will have no quality of life. But if you're okay with that, then you can keep him, but we need to prepare you for what he's gonna be like. I laid hands on him that night, and I remember that vividly. God decided not to take him. Life with Brandon now is totally different than what it was before. Brandon's unable to Anything from using the bathroom by himself. Showering. Showering. When we pulled up to the church, it was like home. That first Sunday, he was like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I just want to stay in bed. I'm like, no, we need to go. 
People have to see what, how God does miracles. So every time I had doubt, He gave me the, the signs that I needed to know that He's still doing His work. So four weeks ago, I got a cancer diagnosis and we found out that it was only stage one. It was only in the two lumps. None of the lymph nodes had cancer in it. So praise Hallelujah. God. Throughout our journey, um, I don't think we would be where we are without our church behind us. Um, our family, of course, is always there to help, but it just, it means so much to not only me, but Brandon and our kids that every time we turn around, the church is asking, how can we help? What can we do? The church has made it just a little bit easier, and we just want to thank everybody from the bottom of our hearts. My name is Sonia Bayard, and this is my husband, Brandon, and this is God's story through us. When I spoke to Sonia and Brennan about their story, they wanted to tell you how grateful and thankful they were to you, their church. It's not the building, it's, it's the people. And you people have become the place where God has provided for them. Jehovah Jireh is the place where God provides. On behalf of this family, can I say thank you, church? Thank you, church, for providing for them. A couple months ago, I think y'all be okay with me telling this story. It was in July. I was on my way to Walmart, and I parked, and I'm, I'm walking in. I'm all by myself, uh, and I see Sonia and Brennan coming out of Walmart. Now, you have to understand, she's pushing him with one hand and pulling a full shopping cart with the other coming out of Walmart. I walked up and said, hey. I was wearing a ball cap and some shorts. I probably took her a second to recognize me. And I said, hey, would you, would you like a friendly face to help you load some groceries? Oh, Pastor Don, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. I had no idea what I was in for. We walk up, and she opened the back and positioned the groceries out to the side. It was a hot July, and I noticed there was ice cream and some other things that, that were there, and the, the cart was just, just there. We got to get Brennan inside first. She opened the back, and, and she says, she pulls out this thing. It's like an engine hoist. It's a lift. It's, it's heavy. I could barely lift it myself. Wheels it out onto her thighs and then onto the ground and then down. And it connects this arm to it. And there's, there's this part that swings around that you got to hook onto it as well. And there's a cable and a, a little battery there. And she, was, she opens the door and gets him situated. And I'm there like, I don't know how to, how to do. Like, I'm, I'm capable of helping, but she's got a system. She wheels this thing around. And you have to understand the car that they have. It's a little SUV. And the arm of this hoist is the same height as the top of the car. 
it's not, the car's not tall enough for it to fit in and it's too tall to get over and you can see on the top of the door jam where it's hit time and time again from them having to, to move this in. And I watched and she pushes him over in the wheelchair and tucks a net underneath him. And then goes the other side and pulls it out. And, and then she brings it. She says, you can help me with this part. And we got all the loops. There's like six of them on each side attached to this over this arm that, that hangs over. She pushes a button and it lifts him out of the chair. Now she's still got to get him over to the car. So we kind of push him over to the car, but it's, it's hitting the top. So she has to lower it enough to get some room to swing him, but then has to keep it high enough to get him above the seat because she can't lift him in. You, you, you see what I'm, I'm watching this before my very eyes and she gets him in there, has to go to the other side, just barely gets him in. I'm, I'm pushing, I'm doing my best goes behind on the other side of the car, pushes the seat all the way forward, gets in from the back seat and pulls him into the car. And he's lowering the button that lets him in and we take the, the loops off and she gets the net out from under and gets him situated and plugged in and the, the pillow right beside him so she can close the door and keep him in. And then we have to disassemble the thing that we just assembled so we go back and we disassemble it and we put it in the car and then we've got to take his, his wheelchair and take the legs off and fold it up and put them in. And then I start thinking as we're loading things in the car, we hadn't even started with the groceries. Where, where, are, the, where are the groceries going? And I watched it, man, there's a place for everything. Got to the very end and we loaded everything up and, and I realized there's a case of water at the bottom of the car and we go to grab it and there's nowhere for it. She scoots her driver's seat all the way up to be able to put it behind the seat. Her daughter Jasmine couldn't even come. There was nowhere for her to sit. And she gets in the car and they drive away. And I left there with tears in my eyes, amazed at the grace and the faith that I saw demonstrated every single week when I learned that they have to do that every time they come to church. And then the cancer diagnosis. It's not uncommon for me to interact with people in those moments when the doctor says the C word, it's cancer. But I'll be honest with you, I had some questions. Why, why, why them? Why her? The surgeries that followed that left you unable to do that very manual process that I saw take place that day, leaving you unable to load him up and then help him out. And here's, here's what you guys don't know. Two weeks ago, that vehicle that I told you about, the engine goes out. Two weeks, they got no vehicle. They've borrowed a vehicle to get to church today. Sonia and Brandon, I want to tell you something. Just as God has been working behind the scenes for Abraham, Abraham thought he had sacrificed everything. God has been working behind the scenes at this very place that he's called y'all to be.
And what you don't know is that God is using this place to provide for you in the moment of your greatest needs. Can I show you what this church, this place has done and is doing for you? Y'all want to see? Y'all stay right here. Don't move. Y'all stand up. I'm going to show you something. Don't move, church. Bring Brennan. Y'all come all the way back. Sonia. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on all the way. This is yours. This is yours. It opens by itself. The ramp comes out by itself. It lowers itself. And it's yours. Kelly, show them show this. I'm going to go visit with everybody for just a second. This van, the doors open automatically. The ramp comes out all by itself. The suspension lowers all the way to the ground. There are cleats inside. The front seat moves completely out. He can ride up front if he wants to ride up front. There are tie downs for his chair that are automatic. You know, you see about the click, 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 and then you can't move it anymore. She doesn't have to wrench a single strap. It fits right in there. And I promise you, she won't have to move that seat forward to get that bottle of water or that case of water. That's in there. You did that. That's you. You did that. Your generosity here has paved the way. We didn't have to receive a single offering. I'm not, this is not offering moment. It's done. It's paid for. It is theirs. Everything, it's done. You did that. And I am so proud of you. I have not been more proud of our church. This kind of thing is life-changing. It's life-changing. Jehovah Jireh. God has provided. Just think about the times that they had to get up every single Sunday and go through all of that. And God called them to a place, and the place God used to provide for them.
Isn't that good? Can we just take a minute and thank God? This room is full of stories where God used this place to provide for his children. This place. And I want to tell you, I'm so proud. Listen, if one church could change that life in that way, what do you think a lot of churches would do? What do you think a lot of places could do? I don't want you to miss next week launching into legacy. The things that I have in store to share with you are going to blow your socks off. But I'm going to end right here because I want you all to go see the van that you provided for Sonia and Brennan to celebrate with them and love them. Thank you for being the church to them. I told you you didn't want to miss today told you, there are going to be some people very mad at me because they missed today and they didn't know. I'm so glad that you're here. Stand to your feet. I want to bless you. Father, I thank you for these people that you've used, that you have brought them to a place, God, and you have used them. They have given of their time, they've given of their talents, and they've given of their treasure, and you've used all of it to make a difference in the lives of so many people. This is the church, the place where God provides. And I thank you for using us, that we get to be a part of it. And I know there are many other stories and many other needs and many other journeys and many other finish lines and many other miracles waiting to happen. Thank you for bringing us to a place. I want this to be the place where you can use to provide that for your people. I pray there would be a spirit of generosity, a spirit of servanthood, a spirit of unity and community that flows from this place so that we can make a difference in our community. So I bless each and every person here. This is your church. And I thank you, Father, for using it. Jehovah Jireh, the place where God provides. So I pray for these people today. God, I pray that they would live holy, that they'd be led by the Spirit, I pray that they'd be in the word and in prayer every single day. I pray they would be fearless taking the gospel to your community. I pray that their life would be marked by obedience and that they stay on mission making disciples. In the name of the Father, His Son, Jesus, and the all-abiding Holy Spirit, if you receive that today, say, I receive it. Go be the church. You're changing people. We love you.